What's going on, guys? My name is Ron Carrion. I'm here with Born to How to Podcast. I'm here with Alex Hunter, and he's the author of How to Sell Homes for Fast for Top Dollar and a realtor for around four years. Alex, out of curiosity, what is it that ignited your hustle? You know, originally what ignited my hustle is just the fact that I like to help and protect people. You know, um, been doing in and around this industry for a long time, for, for over 20 years at this point. Uh, but my why has changed. You know, what really has kept me in it mm-hmm. um, is my family. You know, family? I've got a I've got a five year old daughter and I've got an eight year old son. And really, they're my they're my everything. So uh, everything that I do is for them. So that's what keeps me motivated. That's what keeps me getting up early in the morning and, and pushing forward, trying to just move the needle a little bit further is to be able to help and provide for them and give them a better lifestyle than I had. That's very fair to say. So if that's actually what ignited the hustle, I'm curious, like when you do you knew that you were going to become a realtor? Is this something that you wanted to do? Do you feel like this is what it is? Or, like, do you just apply for a job and that's it? And <laughs> you're just like, well, I guess I'm going to do it. Like, you know, sometimes that's, it just happens that way. Like, Right, right. No, you know, originally I knew that I wanted to help people. And, and like I said, you know, I, I had met, um, you know, the first family that I helped find a home. It was just a very fulfilling experience. Um, never necessarily wanted to be a realtor because I didn't want to work you know, the nights and the weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to have that for, for family time and whatnot. But what I realized is a lot of the industries that I've been in through the apartment complex and HOA management and whatnot is that you're still working nights and weekends. You're on call 24-7. So I was like, after actually seeing a coworker of mine get taken advantage of by a developer um, and she lost about $100,000 worth of equity in her home over the course of a year, it was just a, it was a horrible thing. I was like, you know what? I'm tired of fixing, trying to fix people's problems on the back end after they come to me. It's like, let me get in front of it and protect them from these problems before, you know, they happen. Uh, And so that really is what pushed me to uh, get out of my comfort zone and actually become a realtor. Um, Yeah. I mean... The what's it called? The real estate developer actually like. Can you explain the story a little bit? Yeah, I'm, absolutely. That actually got me. My, I know it's a little bit off topic, but that actually got me my curiosity. I'm sorry. I'm no, a, for sure. I'm for a sure. little bit on the what's it called? A sucker for the tea, aka the gossip. <laughs> <laughs> no, I gotcha. Yeah, so um, I was actually doing homeowners association management, and uh, one of our one of my coworkers, uh, her husband is in the medical in- industry. Um, they had found this great new uh, lot. They wanted to build their forever home mm-hmm. uh, out kind of north San Antonio, a little bit north of Stone Oak. Uh, development was was going on. They found a vacant lot. They had a custom builder that was going to build their you know custom dream home. This was going to be their forever home, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the lot had about 200 feet of greenbelt space behind it. And then on the other side of that greenbelt space, it was zoned for commercial, and the developer owned that as well. And so they had asked a question from the developer to the developer. They had they had said, "Hey, look, what what are y'all planning on doing with that commercial space behind?" Because obviously they want to know what's going to be behind them. Mm-hmm. And he's, "Yo, yeah, we're going to make a medical plaza out of it." And that's like great, you know. My husband's in medical sales type of thing, so uh, they ended up purchasing the lot. Um, they ended up uh, hiring, like I said, the custom builder built their dream home there. Literally about a year later, they moved in. Six months after they moved in, a Valero was built behind their home, not a medical center. So when the Valero was built behind their home, instantly their the equity in their home, their property value dropped by almost $100,000. So this was 
a little bit about four and a half years ago. So if you figure a $300,000 home back then is probably about a $600,000 home in, in today's market type mm-hmm. of deal. Mm-hmm. But imagine, and, and typically when you build a new home, it appreciates by the time the home is built because the area is developing around it and whatnot. Um, but yeah, you look at a very similar exact outside, but different on the inside home that's seven houses down. That's kind of around the bend on that same green belt that doesn't have the Valero behind them mm-hmm. is still, you know, worth in the four four fifties, whereas their home had dropped was a hundred thousand dollars less than that just because that Valero was built behind their home. And I probably shouldn't say Valero. I should should have said gas station. You like a gas well the thing is realistically we all understand that it's not Valero's fault. No, it's not Valero's fault at it's, all. It's just no, a they gas station. But like realistically speaking, you telling me all of that why does a gas station lower your property value? I mean, I, I would see it as a win. I literally have a gas station. Like, you know, like I'm about to go to work. I fill up on gas. You see, like, the lifestyle, like, thinking that I'm going about over right. here? The 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 issue with, with having the gas station behind the house comes to the fact that, and especially with the green space area and wooded areas and whatnot, um, is that attracts, you know, uh, a lot of homeless individuals. Um, uh, and so because it's attracting that behind the house, it's just a perceived negative value um, of the home. Oh, okay. So that kind of makes sense a little bit. Yeah, because when you mentioned the gas station, the thing is I live nearby Converse, and there's literally a Valero, like, built behind, like, some homes. So I'm going to – like, the place looks very beautiful, though. It looks like a really well-thought-out, beautiful – you know, they actually invested money on this gas station. So I don't know if it's actually going to invite any homeless people. Um, but, yeah, when you mentioned that, I was already thinking, like, oh, so you're telling me those people, like, in their homes, their property value most likely went down because of that gas station being built? That is what my best guess would be because there's nothing else that would have uh, affected the home value in the area. And like I said, it wasn't everyone's home value in that area. It was, you know, specific to – uh, one or two homes that were right on the other side of that green space from where that gas station was built. Okay. And you're talking about green space. What does that mean? So a green space is basically um, an area where nothing is built. It's typically like a retaining area for water. That's where all the water in the development is uh, uh, directed to flow. Um, that way there's no flooding within the community. Developers, when they when they uh, submit their track you know, for approval, uh, with the city or with the county, they have to have structural engineers go out there and in all of their uh, engineering has to show plans on, hey, when there's rainfall, where is all this water going to go? So a lot of them develop these green space areas in between homes and it'll be, you know. Yeah, now exa- now I understand okay. exactly what you mean. Okay, well, it's the thing is I, I'm not a real estate professional, so I wouldn't know the proper terminology yet. So that's why I want to ask because, I mean, I don't know and Probably somebody listening does not know either. But right. now that, okay, so because of that story alone, is that what actually made you into a real estate uh, agent and decided to maybe fix something about it? Like, what did that mean? That you? was the straw that that really, you know, made this, the deciding factor for me to become a realtor. You know, uh, in the HOA industry, I would I would constantly hear people's issues. They would, they would buy a new home in a community um, and, you know, no one had told them, hey, by the way, you know, they, I'll give you a perfect example. 
there's master plan communities, and then there's associations that are all part of that master plan community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not going to mention any names of communities, but uh, for example, you know, you might have a master plan community that has five or six different smaller HOAs within it. They might have an amazing amenity center with, you know, a pool and a splash pad and slides and fitness centers and on-site management and monthly activities and all this great stuff that people are looking for because they want to have a lifestyle of community, you know, nowadays. And someone might buy a home within a particular homeowners association that is part of that master plan community, and then they would call me up and they would say, hey, I want to get access, you know, to the amenity center. And I'd have to be the one to say, oh, yeah, well, unfortunately, you're part of a community that does not buy into that, so you don't have access to that. And no one knew, no one looked to read any of the documents, no one gave them any advice. Just it's, it's not anyone's necessarily fault, but it's just lack of knowledge. No one knew to ask these things. They just assumed. Uh, so now they just dropped two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand dollars on a house because they wanted to have this lifestyle of being able to use as a mini center that they now don't have access to. So that's just one of a million different examples that I can, that I can give. But, but really the straw that broke the camel's back was, was my friend that lost a lot of money on the equity of her home. I'm not going to lie to you, dude. If I actually buy a house and it turns out that I did it for a specific amenity and I don't have access to it, there's the amount of salt Yep. Like the amount of salt, <laughs> like I will not be okay with that whatsoever. I can, I, I don't even know if you can get out of it right away because I'm not a you homeowner can't. yet. Like I, I basically, oh my lord, dude, I can imagine the salt, like. And that's the biggest problem. And one of the biggest tips that I can give anyone is, is look, if you're buying a home within a homeowners association, which now all new communities have to be a homeowners association. It's a state law. Uh, at this point. But if you're buying a home within a homeowner's association, you need to make sure to review that resale packet that's going to have copies of all of the governing documents, what's included, what's expected, everything like that. In there, it's going to say if you have access to the amenity center or not. Oh, okay. And is it legit becoming a natural law? Like an actual state It's law? been a natural law, I believe, and don't quote me on this, but since 1998, mm-hmm. all new developments that are the all new tracks that are platted out to be a subdivision yeah. are required by the state of Texas to have an HOA that manages them. Interesting. Well, now, if the tract was developed prior to 1998 or if the tract was submitted and approved prior to 1998, but maybe the de- developer just sat on it for 20 years and never actually started building houses, then they wouldn't be required to. But But anything new after, I believe it's 1998, is required to. Do you think HOA is actually beneficial for the, like, when it comes to actually becoming a homeowner in the real estate market? You know, I would say, and this is a, this is a very hot uh, topic and, and hot debate, and 90% of the conversations I have with people when they hear that I did HOA, you know, I can't stand my HOA. And and truly, I think HOAs are, are a beneficial thing uh, for a couple reasons. It does help to maintain your property value. It does try and keep consistency um, within the community and, and, and keep all, everyone's property values up. You don't want, you know, a home next to you to be so outlandish that it's affecting your value and you don't have anything to do. The problem with a lot of HOAs, though, is that their governing documents don't give the authority for the HOA to really give enough bite. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of homeowners associations uh, documents don't provide like fining policies or real, you know, resolutions that are going to 
essentially help enforce those rules other than sending them a letter and, you know, and whatnot. And honestly, even fining doesn't work because you're fining someone and it just basically sticks on their, on their bill. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, really hard as a not-for-profit because all HOAs are not-for-profits and they're run by voluntary boards. Um, it's really, really hard to, to enforce some of those policies unless you really get a good bite, have a good attorney, and then it's a crapshoot depending on what judge you get if you do end up having to file a suit uh, and go to court for it. Um, but I will say a lot of people um, that have had me when I was in that industry, your HOA, really whether you like it or hate it, is going to depend on the board that you have and the manager that you have. Um, if you have a board that really cares and, and – you know, is just trying to do the right thing and understands that a lot of these rules and laws and everything like that, all of these guidelines were written 10, 15 years ago if it's an older community and, and the world changes. And it's really, really hard to change some of these uh, rules and guidelines once they have uh, become uh, kind of written and in place. But a lot of them do need to get amended over time just because, again, things change. We didn't have Airbnbs 15 years ago. 20 years ago. You know? Oh, yeah. No, no. The thing is, I heard so much controversial stuff. Some people love some. I hate more. I, I think the, the hate stories are a lot more louder than the good stories. And I think that's exactly what it is. Because if you look on social media, some people assume that we as a society, we're not the smartest generation, quote unquote. However, if you look at the statistics, that's not true at all. Right. So like they always say, like the hate or the 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 how to do it with a how to say this in a PG-13 language the uh uh no the, actually i was thinking i was gonna say the the d word but i was like nah <laughs> but like you know what i'm trying to say like yeah. the not, not the not so intelligent side of the species um it tends to be a lot louder right and because of that alone i was just wondering in your perspective since you already form you were former hoa and now that you're becoming a realtor if anything i feel like that's a beautiful combo honestly Absolutely. because Absolutely. It's, it's a very uh what's the right word ancillary like background knowledge to have and then you becoming a realtor i feel like and i don't know if you can agree with this would you agree that because of that background alone you are a little bit different than the average realtor that you can actually give more proper you know what in business i always tell myself meant to be doing the proper disclosures would you say that like would, would you say that you do the proper disclosures absolutely you know and and just with with the experience and the history that i've had with that it helps me uh to have a different perspective. It helps me to know what questions to ask for because a lot of people just don't know. Unless mm-hmm. you've been in that industry, you don't know what to ask for. Yeah. You know, and that was kind of the case with, you know, my friend that lost $100,000 in equity. She didn't know that, hey, you needed to get it in writing. And I, I told her, I was like, hey, was there anything in writing? Was there any marketing material that said that mm-hmm. there was going to be? And there was nothing. So unfortunately, she didn't have any recourse. Oh, Lord. And, and sometimes there is trust and maybe the real estate developer, maybe that's he didn't lie. I don't know what to tell you. Right. But, um, honestly, I'm a, I'm a lot more okay with that instance compared to the person buying a house and not having access to the amenity. Right. Yeah, like if I I can take a nail every now and then, but buying something and I get the amenity, dude, I can already imagine so many salt stories. I bet that person did not say, oh, Thank you for letting me know, sir. Have a good. No, I'm pretty sure he cursed you out. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he gave you a hard time. And yeah, and not just one. I mean that that was a weekly that was a weekly type of occurrence. And and yeah, they're they're definitely not happy with it whatsoever. Uh, sometimes you know they could put it on the realtor if the realtor promoted that 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 it had, 
you know, like the the listing agent had taken pictures of the amenity center and the pool and everything mm. and put it on a listing for a house that's in a, that's in a community that doesn't have access to that, mm. then there's potential recourse against, you know, and I'm not an attorney, um, but I seek an attorney's, you know, advice, but I would say that there's potential liability there for that listing agent. Um, but doing the due diligence as like a buyer's agent, you know, uh, the, the, one to four family contract that's promulgated by Trek that most realtors use unless they're, you know, buying a, a new property in a new subdivision and they're not required to use that and you normally go with a builder's contract. But um, but that requires that resale packets be provided to the buyer a minimum of three days prior to closing. Um, and in that resale packet, the problem is no one takes the time to read it because that resale packet can be 30 to 50 pages long. Yeah, I'm not going to um, do that. Yeah, I'm not going to read exactly. that. Exactly. And a lot of it is written by attorneys, so it's all in legal you know, type mm-hmm. of jargon. Uh, and so, yeah, a lot of people get it, and they don't ever read it. Or even worse, they don't get it, but when you go to the title company, one of the things the title company typically is going to do is they're going to have you sign one of the first papers they're going to have you sign is an acknowledgement of receipt that you received you know, X, Y, and Z, and you're just happy to get your home. So you're just going through just, you know, sign away. Yeah, I got this. Yeah, I got it. You don't even know, you know, what it is because people aren't taking the time to go through and read things. They're just all excited about what they're getting. I mean, I'm not going to judge them whatsoever because buying a house is not the same thing as buying groceries. Right. We're it's talking not. Like, like we're talking about potentially, I mean, bringing your children, having their own room. We're talking about... Like now, I feel like that's a humongous first milestone for every family. Absolutely, because we're talking about the single family dream. Now it's not just about just renting. We're talking about you guys are in a house. Like this is where you're gonna grow up. Like this is it, bro. Like that's that's literally the most commitment about settling to a location as you can get. Yeah, I know. I know you can move. Yes, you can rent. And yes, there's other alternatives. Blah 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 blah. But when we're talking about the average individual, I can see the average individual. In my own opinion, because, again, I'm not a realtor, but I can imagine the average individual being with the emotion, being with this experience, like, dude, I cannot believe I'm qualifying for a house right now. Yeah. Especially in today's market. I mean, dude, it's only going to get more difficult. Yep. So for anybody who's thinking about buying a house, I would recommend you to start the process because it's only going to, they're not going to get any cheaper. Interest rates, they're not going to get lower. And maybe they will, maybe not. Who freaking knows? But they're definitely not going to go back to the way they used to be. They're never going to go back at 2%. I can definitely agree with you there. I mean, everything has its ebbs and flows. And, and yeah, market market corrections happen and, and things go down and then they go back up. But if you look at historical trends, you know, houses are more expensive than they were, you know, five years ago. But even prior to COVID, houses, you know, five years ago were more expensive than houses were 10 years ago. So on the short term, you might see the ebbs and flows of going up and down. But over the long term, the appreciation is still a gain. Exactly. So and not only that, either way, I I, I forgot. Um, I have a conversation with a realtor once upon a time that even if you have the money, even if you qualify, even if you have all the paperwork, it's still not going to be a next week kind of deal. No, it's definitely not going to be a next week. Time it's going to take mean, like a month or two or something like that. I don't remember the exact amount time frame, but. Like, even if you qualify and you're ready, it still wouldn't be immediate. Even if you did a cash deal, you're still probably looking at 14 days, and that's without an appraisal. Yeah. Um, if you have an appraisal, you know, unfortunately, the, the, the pool of appraisers is is still relatively low, and so a lot of appraisal companies are backed up. Uh, and that's typically the longest uh, portion of, of, 
the actual closing process is, is getting that appraisal done. Most homes, depending on the type of appraisal they have to get based on the type of financing that they're getting, most homes can typically close within 25 to 45 days. Now, something, for example, like a USDA loan, that's going to take 45 days. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's a guarantee just because there's so many steps in their process to be able to get qualified for a USDA loan. Whereas like an FHA loan, you know, you can probably push 25 would be, I'd say, the earliest, typically 30, 35 yeah. Like that. yeah. So basically, the the pattern that I'm seeing that you cannot buy a house by tomorrow. So right again, and I only got that advice from another realtor. He literally told me, Roham, if you're thinking about becoming a homeowner anytime soon, you should definitely start the process. Even if you don't qualify credit wise, like you should definitely start the journey because they're gonna basically work with you for you to qualify, and it could be a year, it could be two years, but basically just start. Yeah, and that's what I recommend to everyone that I work with. I was like, you know, you want to start looking at things a year before you're ready to actually go out there and buy. So you want to pull your credit report. There's all sorts of places you can get your your credit report, you know, for free. You got Credit Karma, but then you got uh, creditreport.com, which is the official, you know, one. It doesn't give you your scores, but it'll show you any anything that's on your report. So you can see if there's anything that you need to correct or any errors that you need to fix or whatnot. And don't get me wrong, like you, you want to start that a year in advance because it could take anywhere from three to 12 months to get those things that are erroneous off of your credit to be able to up your score. And the higher you can get your score within that year, the better terms you're going to get, the more money you're going to save. And we're not talking about saving a thousand, two thousand dollars We're talking about saving tens of thousands of dollars based on your credit score because your interest rates are based yeah. on your credit score. Yeah. You know, yeah. I used to be a finance professional. So uh, int- like honestly, the interest rates would actually makes the dramatic amount is what really changes. Like it could be three hundred thousand dollars, but the interest rates will make the difference between paying a thousand dollars a month to fourteen hundred dollars a month, Absolutely. even though the original principle of the cost is the same. Yeah. But the interest rate alone is the reason why the the, the monthly payment is much higher, right. and the interest rate is also the reason why. And most of it is actually going towards the actual, you know, the interest rate itself rather than the actual paying off the, the, the principal of the actual loan. So yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Get, like you want to basically, because if you think about it, right, and this is something I, I've learned this a long time ago and I like telling, you know, everybody like that I talk to, you need to see your interest rate as your cost when you're borrowing money mm-hmm. because the money is not yours. Right. It's the bank's money using your credit, right? And that's something I need to teach other people when they're making sales. Whenever you're doing a sale, don't get financially greedy. I know there's high commissions, but at the end of the day, that's not your money. That is the bank's money using somebody else's credit. So humble yourself, basically. Right. Because I know some people be like, oh, man. like I." And this is mostly in the world of contracting because, you know, uh, when I did contracting with sires, I've noticed that some, and like, you know, they, they especially in the Valley, I'm not trying to throw any shade to South Texas, but in the Valley, I remember when, you know, I seen some of them like, dude, I got $10,000 or $14,000 or $20,000. And I say, hey, remember that that money is going back towards the client and you're actually pocketing $3,000. I can see their face or they're tempted of not keeping their promise and just pocketing the $20,000 in commissions, quote unquote, regardless of what they promise. Number one, that's unethical. But number two, you need to understand that is not your money. Right. That is the bank's money using their credit. Right. So... I forgot what the point I was making with this. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I got I got in the moment. Sorry. That was actually one of the things I love to preach. Oh, yeah, the interest rate. We were talking rates. about interest rates. Yes, 1,000%. Right. So when it comes to interest rate, you need to see that is the cost of when you borrow money 
And whenever you see dividends, that's basically how much they're paying you when you use when you give their, their your money. Right. That's how I see stocks right. and stuff like that or CDs or whatever. So yeah, whenever you look at the interest rate, you need to look that it's like, okay, how much is this bank charging me for using their money? So some people, when they look at the interest rates, they're not paying attention to it because they're more focused on qualifying on the loan itself rather than the actual interest rate. And I think people should actually care about the interest rate because that's exactly how much they're charging you. Right. And a lot of people are just focused on, you know, and they teach you in a lot of these, you know, sales places, you know, whether you're selling houses, not as a realtor, but like as like a, a new home builder or a car salesman, you know, you teach people not to focus so much on the interest rate, but to come in and focus on the payments. Oh, you know, I can get you this and, and the payment yeah. is this. No, because, you know, you could potentially get a much lower payment, even though that this was the payment that you wanted around. If you get a better interest rate, you could actually get it under that. But all they're worried about is focusing on the payment. You know, one other tip that I would say, you know, as far as, you know, starting a year in advance, looking at your credit score, trying to fix all that, but also start saving your money for the down payment. You know, um, if you have to apply and, and if you have to go through like a first time homebuyer program, the problem with a lot of those programs is they have an, a higher interest rate because they're trying to recoup the money that mm -hmm. they're putting down for your down payment. So yeah, you can get zero down payment and everything like that, but now you're going to have a 1% higher interest rate, which over the life of the loan, so let's say that they put down, you know, $10,000 for you towards closing cost. Mm -hmm. But that extra 1% interest rate is going to add up to $30,000, $40,000 over the life of a, a 30 year, you know, term. So is it really worth it? So if you can start a year in advance and you start putting money away and save up for that down payment and those closing costs, then, then that's, you know, another thing that I would recommend doing. And then finally, don't get any, don't even apply for any new types of credit a year out before you're ready to buy your home. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people, they're like, they're going, you know, they got pre-approved to go and, and, and buy a home. And then two weeks before they're closing, they turn around and they go and finance, you know, five grand worth of new furniture. Mm. All right. And that might not be a big deal if their debt to income ratio is really good and, and that additional expense doesn't put them over to cap. But if someone does that, that's borderline, you know, qualifying for the size of the loan they want for the house that they want. And they go out and they finance that, that five grand worth of new furniture for the house and it turn around and it tips, tips them over their debt to income ratio. The entire deal is squashed. There's no way to fix it. You know, and then they don't qualify and then they don't close. And now they're upset because no one told them, hey, don't go and get new furniture, you know, until after, after you've closed, after you sign those documents, then by all means, go out and get new furniture, go out and get that new car that you've been wanting to get for the last two or three years, go out and, you know, get new credit cards, whatever you want to do. But a year before you're intending to close on a house, don't apply for any new you know, type of credit, unless you're trying to build credit and then you should seek a credit counselor's advice, expertise, and, and recommendations before doing that. Yeah. Yeah. More or less. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about them, to be honest with you. But yeah. um, that, that alone, yeah, I 1000% agree with you. And now that I understand what ignited the hustle, um, you kind of answered already what kept you in it. You, you mentioned your family, you mentioned um, I don't know if you want to expand more into it or, or maybe because I noticed that there's no always, there's not, never always just one reason. There's always multiple things piling up at the same time. And that's why I get annoyed whenever I get in an argument with a lady. They always assume there's only one. No, there's always multiple things at the same time. So if there's any other reason that kept you in the house by any chance that you haven't mentioned, I understand your family. 
You know, my, my family keeps me in it, but but ultimately, like, I love helping people. I, I like to protect people. Like, I, I, it gets me heated. I get very, very peed off when um, I see people being taken advantage of, mm. t- taken advantage of by another company, being taken advantage of by a system, uh, inadvertently being taken advantage of just because, you know, uh, someone didn't know to ask these questions or didn't know to tell them something or something like that. So... You know, that, you know, between my family and liking to help people and, and wanting to protect people, that's that's really all there is. Mm-hmm. Okay. It sounds like you want to prevent bad stories to happen, basically. Absolutely. Yeah, I 1,000% I agree with you. That's why I love doing proper disclosures because you might be ethical. And the fact that you're already ethical, you're already halfway there compared to the competition. Right. And then would you say that you do, you know, exactly what you said you're going to do? Always. Okay. So you're already now. And if I don't, I own up to it. You know, if if there was some extenuating circumstance, you know, and I promised someone this or I promised someone that, and for whatever reason, something outside of my control, and, and hey, I'll be the first to to apologize, and, and what can I do to make it right? Okay. 1,000%. I completely agree. Now, a little bit of topic, but what inspired you to write this book? Uh, To be honest with you, uh, you know, Everyone talks about, you know, the market, especially since interest rates started going up, you know, middle, middle end of last year. Uh, and everyone's like, oh, you know, you, you can't get um, a lot of money. Or I see a lot of people that are missing out on getting a lot of money, you know, for their homes that they're selling. Um, and I've talked to a lot of realtors and a lot of realtors are like, oh, no, we only do that, for, you know, for, for higher end, you know, clients. And I'm like, well, why? Um, and so basically what I've done is I've taken a lot of the tips and the tricks, uh, that a lot of the higher end, uh, homes, uh, representation uses. Uh, and I basically put that into a book, uh, and at your realty group, we actually offer all of these things, uh, that come inclusive with the exception of like, there's an additional fee for staging or whatnot. Um, but some of the simplest things that, that everyone she knows should do cleaning is free, go through and, and, and clean up, you know, your house decluttering is free. Depersonalizing is free. It takes your time, you know, um, but making your house more presentable, making it more open, that's all stuff that you can do yourself, you know, but outside of that, you know, what things you can sell, little DIY things that help to increase a home's value. In this day and age, technology is a huge thing. So, you know, if you still got the old clicker doorbell, you know, go and upgrade and get yourself a, a ring doorbell or something with a with a, with a video doorbell on it. You know, if you're still rocking the, you know, 1990s, you know, thermostat with the little slider and doesn't have a digital, you know, thing on it, or even if it does have one, go get yourself a smart thermostat, you know, go get a Nest or a Kobe 4 or whatever the latest, you know, model is. You know, little things like that that people are wanting now. Mm-hmm. You know, people want ways to make their life easier, to la- make their life more efficient, to make it to where they don't have to think about it. They can just set it and forget it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so doing these little projects that most of them you can do yourself, you know, it talks about some of those. Making a great first impression with curb appeal, you know, huge thing. Making sure that you've got nice grass, you know. If, if you're looking to sell your house and it's not like something that you've got to, you know, you need to sell it tomorrow, you know, and that goes for selling too. If, if you're thinking about selling your house, I would say, you know, start planning that a year in advance. That way you can get everything going. I've got a couple right now that, that I'm working with that I haven't listed their house yet because they're still in the preparation stages of, of getting it ready to list. They're not in any hurry. 
They don't need to be in any hurry. So it helps. So, you know, I started working with them two months ago, and we're probably not going to list their house until April of next year, Mm -hmm. which gives them enough time to get everything fixed up, get everything done. Um, And then we'll do uh, part of our marketing strategy is we do a 3D Matterport virtual tour. So someone that has VR goggles can go in and look and and physically like walk through the place and see everything. It's all high definition. So it's not like you're trying to hide like little things in Mm -hmm. corners or whatnot, um, which is a great tool, especially to reach those people that aren't um, local to this area. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's one thing that we do. There is virtual staging. So we can actually literally go in and empty out your entire house and then turn around and restage it and maybe, you know, move some of the furniture around or, or virtually declutter it. If you don't want to do it yourself, there is an additional cost for that. Um, but as far as like the, the virtual tour itself, that's all included with every listing that I have. You know, you get a 3D dollhouse image, you get a 2D floor plan that you can do measurements on. And again, you get a cinematic video all of these things are like the newest trends in the real estate industry that a lot of the higher-end homes that do sell for more, the realtors, the listing agents for them, they're using this. Why? Because you can reach a broader audience um, from out of state, you know, and with all of the the states, you know, moving to Texas because we're such a great state here, um, (laughs) it, it really helps with that. So, the cost of these things have also come down quite a bit as well. So, you know, I've talked to realtors that, oh, I don't do it unless I have a house that's, you know, $500,000 or more. Well, you know, I'll do it for a house that is $250,000 starter home. Why? Because I'm reaching a broader audience. I completely agree with that. Uh, 1,000, when you, when you mentioned the virtual goggles, not trying to say that I would DIY this, but which, what's the brand? Is it Quest? Is it, um, so I will tell you the the Quest Two mm-hmm. virtual goggles yeah. are are what I use. I have those. Um, okay, awesome, yes. awesome. I wanted to know if I could do the same thing because yes, cool you can. Heck. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, but and so I'll give you a perfect example, man. Um, let's say that that I do a listing, you know, and I've got the the 3D virtual tour, you know, and I'm marketing out to the states that are still moving here. So New York, California, Washington State, you know. Michigan, a lot of these states are coming here just because of our our, our lifestyle um, and a lot of other things. Um, but let's say that they don't have VR goggles. You know, you can go and get cardboard box Google goggles. You can Google this. All right, it's about ten bucks for a thing. As a realtor, I can order those online from Amazon. Have it shipped to to the potential buyer's house if they're interested. It's going to cost me all of ten dollars. To go and send it to them if they're if they're truly interested, you know, and they can put their cell phone inside these these uh, uh, cardboard Google you know VR glasses, and they can do it you know if they don't have a VR set already. Oh, okay, that is definitely like an inside tip, one thousand for sure. Okay, so for those of you who are realtors, take notes. That that that's not been <laughs> yeah because honestly, I was like the quest is like I forgot how much I, I pay for it honestly. Three hundred. Yeah, they're about three hundred bucks. I don't remember. I really don't remember. It's been it's been a while. I don't even know what's today's market, but I know when it was brand new, it was around three hundred bucks. And I mean, it's it's great. You know, it's it's freaking great. But I don't know how many of us. I can be. It could be an eighteen year old starting the real estate industry, and he doesn't have three hundred dollars to do something like that. Right. Because nowadays, if it's when it comes to 
being modern practice, sometimes I feel is because we're, we're slowly transitioning to the new generation, actually becoming the old generation. Right. So eventually, <laughs> I'm going to be the old guy, and whoever the heck is in middle school is going to be, like, the new guy. You know, like, he's like, oh, you know, right now I'm complaining with the economy. Eventually, it will be his turn, you know? Right. And then I'll be like, oh, you kids, when I was old, I worked by 40 hours, you know? Like, <laughs> you know, like, eventually it will be my turn yep. acting like whatever the heck uh, the older generation does. And I cannot wait for it, man. I'm complaining for a living. Oof. hashtag first world problems exactly (laughs) it's like oh look at this guy only working 40 hours back in my day we work 80 yep and it's not really it's it's school plus work and whatnot but like um but yeah that definitely sounds like a like a pro tip because i feel like it sells the vision and it does the presentation for you and when it comes to sales if there's something that i always preach is focus on the presentation and the sale will come if you focus on the sale, you're going to have what is called commission breath. And obviously, I'm not saying that people can can feed from that, but it definitely changes everything that when it comes to your C factors, it's a different like a sales term. But like when it comes to your uh, the factors that is projected, it's going to be noticeable because you're focused on the right. sale. You're right. not focused on the presentation. If you focus on the presentation and you didn't get the sale, go guess what, bro? It was just not your customer. Right. That's right. it. You know, my my philosophy with with everything I've done is just, hey, you know, go out there, be myself. You're not going to, you know, win everyone over. But for the personalities that click, you know, if they like me, you know, and I show that I genuinely care about them and I'm genuinely trying to help them, the business will follow. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I don't 1000 percent agree with that. Yeah. Because. Um, I forgot exactly what I was going to say once again. Dude, I'm like 20 different points because there's so many different questions I want to ask you, but we don't have three hours. You know what I mean? So I'm just like, which one am I going to pick? That's exactly where I'm standing from. Because in today's market, especially for the younger generation, unfortunately, it's not that easy. Uh, Chances are the wife is going to be working as well. That means there's going to be double income. Um, If there's only going to be one person working, chances are that person is doing very, very, very well. Either a very well hourly job or most likely, if anything I've noticed, that is being either both of them are doing double income, both of them are working, or one of them is working, but either it's going to be a primary job and multiple side hustles or a primary job and then like a business or he's a business owner. Right. That's that's what I've noticed as a finance as a finance professional, not not as a realtor. I noticed that every single person is when it comes to their their financial goals and stuff like that, they're mostly either either double income, which is very ideal in today's in today's age. Like, unfortunately, um, I don't know how to say this. I mean, it's kind of controversial politically speaking, but there's not gonna be the individual at the house. It could be the man or the, or the woman. Right. It doesn't matter. Right. But the, the 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 idea of somebody being at the house is becoming rare. In a way, it does concern me though, because it doesn't bring. That definitely concerns me. It concerns me not on the affordability aspect or stuff like that. I'm all about following your own ambition. I'm all about, you know, working, working as a career, because I feel like that brings purpose. But that's just for me though. I don't know about anybody else. But if there's something that I've learned was the ability of one parent, or if not a parent, actually giving all the time for their kids. Right. And, and I think that that's why society is kind of heading the way that we are right now is because 
it is kind of molded to where and and people are forced to have you know a dual income you know role where both parents are are out working and not able to spend the time and attention that they need you know and of course that's a real controversial issue as well it, but it, that's just my personal beliefs is that's that, my hey, personal belief too dude yeah. i mean i have kids yeah i'm no, i'm i can i can kind of see it right now i'm not with my partners you know i'm a, I'm a single dad but Leslie, hats I, off I to you. Not, I should have not said the name, but anyways, she has to work. Even if we're together, we both need to work. But she has this—I um, forgot this one lady. She I, um, she focused on moms and stuff like that. Unfortunately, I don't remember. But she's a type of consultant slash coach when it comes to moms, and she taught me about moms' guilt, and it's something the females. I don't know if you know what that is. I didn't know what it is until like last week. I literally, I, I kid you not, I just learned this. Apparently, there's such thing as mom's guilt. And my ex-partners, it's, it's the very definition of it. She genuinely, genuinely feels guilty that she has to work yep. or she's overworking or she's not present for my son. Yep. Like not, like she genuinely, I don't feel the guilt because I know what my role will be. I know that I'm trying to provide for you. I know that I want to give you private education, so I need to I need to get to work. Right. Period. Like there's no other way around it. I need right. to get to work, so I don't feel that guilt. But I wonder how many, especially moms, right? But that obviously we feel it too. But we're talking about specifically the mom. Yeah, I think it definitely hits you know mothers a lot harder. Yeah, because mothers they 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 definitely. I mean, not saying, not speaking for everyone, of course, but I've noticed that the mother normally has the vision in regards to how they want to be with their kids. Right. Normally, right? Not saying that applies to everything, not trying to generalize anything, but Leslie definitely has it. My ex-partner definitely has it. She, right. 1,000%. And I'm just, now that makes me wonder how many, you know, the rest of the right. populace, like how many are feeling just like her? You know, I think the the one benefit that that has come from COVID mm-hmm. um, is the fact that you know it has made working from home more of a mainstream, mm-hmm. which has also helped to alleviate some of that, you know, uh, guilty mom syndrome. Because now, you know, a lot of moms can work from home, you know, and can go and pick up their kids from school and, and bring them back home, and and even though they still have to focus on their job, at least you know, physically they're present. So if something happens or if their kids need something, they can, you know, five minutes and, and, and turn and, and go, you know, adjust the situation. Not saying that that eliminates the guilt altogether, but I definitely think it has helped alleviate some of that stress. I mean, hopefully the economy, not saying that it will be fixed, but hopefully that will not be coming. I hope eventually the double income will not be a permanent requirement. That's the key word, not permanent. Because realistically speaking, I don't know what will be the long-term consequences of that. Children are getting the attention that they actually require, right. and realtors, you'll, will, you guys play a role at that, bringing families, allowing them to have a home. And some people say that you don't need a home; you can do the same thing with an apartment. Of course, you can. You know, house is basically where the family is, but the home, you know, when you build that, is that emotional, which that's yeah. why you probably you have realtors telling you all the legal disclosures because. The customers most likely in a very emotional state, and they're most focused on the vision of the family, the vision of being in a single family dream or in a home. Then, the te- the technicalities, right. you know. Yeah, and they for only a lot care of the about pe- the technicalities if it disqualifies you. Right. Yeah, and a lot of these people, they're looking at this as their their first home. This is the beginning of, of them creating, you know, a legacy for their children, their generations to come. 
You know, that's that's one of the big things for me is like when I'm representing someone, I'm not looking out for for them like as far as just their short-term goals. I'm asking them, hey, what are your long-term goals as well? What do you plan on doing, you know, with a home 5, 10, 15 years down the road? Because I want to try and help protect them, you know, down the road as well to help set them up and set that foundation up for, for them to be able to create generational wealth. Uh, and you can Google it and you can look time and time again. A lot of generational wealth is built through real estate. Yeah. I mean, real estate is one of those few th- investments that actually grows as inflation goes up. Yeah. It's one of those few. Not saying that it is the answer, but yeah. And besides most millionaires, they actually go into real estate. It's just very safe. Land is very safe, more or less. I don't know. I don't know everything, of course. I know everything. Based. I know enough to talk about it, but not as a professional. You know what I mean? Right, right. Because I, I know, for instance, right now, I do want to get rental properties. But not because I want it as an income, not because I want to make more money, not because I want to be able to sustain myself financially. It's because that's actually my retirement plan. Exactly. Like literally, I want to get at least eight properties. And that's another actually complication right there because we have a house shortage and there's people like us. But but then again, we're like, you got to work for it. You know, if I actually manage to work for it and I get eight houses and somebody didn't, don't want to be mean, but hey, man, you should probably probably go to work, you know, and... And I know so I will probably get hate from that, but like I don't know what else to tell you, bro. Like there's no there's like there's no other secret formula. You get it, you get what you put in. Yep. I took the risk. I went out there and that's actually cool. I wanna get to eight houses because I I don't know the numbers by memory like I used to. But apparently if you do eight houses, chances are by the time you're sixty five or sixty seven, which is more or less about the average retirement age, um, it will give me a six figure income of retirement or the equivalent of a six-figure income by the time I'm 67. So maybe it will look, excuse me, maybe it will look like $400,000 a year. And you'll be like, wow, man, yeah, Latina is like, you're already good. Nope, <laughs> maybe $400,000 a year is the equivalent of 100000 on today's yeah, market. Of inflation, right. So because of inflation. Well, who knows? Or maybe the currency eventually, we're getting so much into the thousands, they'll be like, you know what, let's just hit a restart. You know, let's just pretend that 1000 is $10, even though realistically it's the equivalent. I don't freaking know. Right. But like... Because of that alone, that's the reason why I do the eight property. Do get one house. If anything, it's the reason why my first home, I'm not being very picky about it because it's not my forever home. Right. I see this home, it's like, I like it. I love it. I'm going to rent it. Yep. 12 months from now, I'm going to see if I can get another one. And 12 yep. months from now, I'm going to see if I can get another one. That will be the strategy more or less. And then I'm going to do what is called the, snow, the snowball effect. But not for the debt side, but for like whatever the rental income is making me. Again, it's not intended for me to start living from it. Right. That's the key word right there. It is just becoming a pool. It's an asset building Ex- up. Exactly. It's becoming a pool. And with the very rental income that is making me, it's the same income that I'm going to use for the next property. And then it's just it's the same strategy I did with the Airbnb area. But like it's hopefully once I get to eight, I will be happy. Yeah. I wouldn't I if I get the ninth, it was a YOLO move. You know, it was like whatever move. <laughs> like I, as long as I get eight, I think my portfolio with the trust and all of the technicalities that obviously I'm not gonna be talking about it right now. But I already had the whole plan already set up and I'm just here like once I have that set up, I'll be happy. Yeah. I'll be Gucci. Well be happy along the way. Yeah. Enjoy the enjoy the journey because that's what a lot of people, you know, uh think success is a destination and that's what I'm I've had to teach myself. 
you know, because I've gotten knocked down multiple times, you know, uh, and, and had to restart things. And, you know, I just got to get up one more time than I get knocked down and, and I don't got to get discouraged. You know, I just got to get up and, and keep trying to push the needle forward. No, 1,000%. So. 1,000%. Uh, I think success is more like what, are, what like is your own definition. Absolutely. I notice some people on the nine to five and they're very happy with it. Absolutely. And if that's you being happy, you can still retire. You just need to learn how to do the 401k technique because a lot of people get into retirement IRAs and they don't actually do rollovers. If you're having, if you have a job and you left the job and you already did contributions, you need to start. Over. You need to start rolling them over because um, if you like, if you do the math from the age from the very beginning to the age of sixty-five, yes, it will give you a very beautiful number. But I've noticed that, especially the younger generation, even the old generation, even my dad, dude. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> even my dad, they work different companies. They did the contributions. My dad said he doesn't work, but you know why it doesn't work? Because he didn't roll over any of them. It's the compound. Again, it's that little compound, that beautiful contribution, and then the compound on top of that that actually makes a difference. Right. If you're just doing different accounts, well, I don't know what to tell you. Compounding $300, $300 it's not going to be the same amount of gains to a, you know, 40000 Right. So it still works. I, I noticed that some individuals, um, especially nowadays in social media, they want to see, oh, I want to be successful by having a six-figure income. If you're happy with fifty thousand and you're in a specific lifestyle, then just be happy. Yep. Don't Absolutely. stress about it. Absolutely. One thousand percent. Don't stress about it. What is your? I mean, I know some guys. I, now, I for me, I don't understand this. They're okay with um, getting us like. I'm not trying to give people that work for HEB any trash, but I remember this one individual told me, I, "I'm a manager at HEB and he's very happy with it." I'm like. I'm perfect. I'm I'm happy for you. you. And he's like, you should do the same thing, man. They got programs. They got this. I'm like, no, 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 no. You, you be happy over there. I like my entrepreneurship. I Absolutely. like this variety. I I prefer this to be honest. Even if it makes me less money, because there are times I work a hundred hours a week and I don't see a single paycheck, I still don't regret it. Right. Because the adventure is definitely there. Now the reward is also there too. It's just that sometimes you don't get it. Sometimes you definitely get it. Sometimes it's a maybe. Sometimes you figured it out. So now, now that we understand what made you into the hustle, what kept you in the hustle, and I appreciate that little insight in regards to getting into the modern, like, you know, like the little Google stuff and this Absolutely. little book, How to Sell Homes Fast for Top Dollars. So I appreciate the book as well. I feel like that's going to help a lot. And this is specifically for the seller, right? The individual selling a home? That's specifically for sellers, yes. Okay. so I've more. got two other books out on my website as well. One of them's for buyers, kind of compares pre-existing homes versus new builds. And then I also have a book to, to help veterans buy and what type of programs are available for veterans. Oh, yeah, because there's a lot of stuff for us. But at the same time, it's like all over the place. Yeah. Aren't you going to do a fourth one anytime soon or something? Oh, you're planning I'm, on it. I'm, I'm working on a fourth one right now, and that's more of a DIY book on what things you can do uh, to bring value to your home, you know, because a lot of people read this and there's tips and tricks in there, uh, but this one's more going to expand on what types of DIY projects, what to invest in, what not to invest mm -hmm. in. You know, a lot of people um, – They'll live in a house for 20 years, and then they'll want to sell it, and then they'll turn around and put $20,000 worth of rehabs into it to get it up to standards to turn around and sell it. And I'm like, 
why did you just waste that 20000 First of all, your ROI, your return on investment, may not be 100% there. You might only get 70 or 80% back, but they have to do it to keep up with you know the industry standards to be competitive around what else is around them. Mm-hmm. Um, my philosophy when I, when I talked to my wife was like, look, we're upgrading our house when we move into it. We're going to enjoy it for 10 or 15 years, and then we're not going to have to upgrade it you know when we move out of it um but it you know it's talk it's pointing out what to upgrade what not to upgrade when to do the upgrades um different trends how long those trends stay uh around for example you know one of them was the uh subway tile backsplashes in your in your um uh in your kitchen you know people are getting away from subway tiles now you know, the, the the gray tones, you know, paintings and floors. I personally, I love that. My house is, yeah. has got gray flooring and it's got gray with a light blue paint on the walls. It just feels modernistic. I love it. It does. It does. But, you know, uh, apparently statistics are saying that that trend is starting to go away now. What? Um, and people are wanting more pop and bright and exaggerated colors that just kind of just like, scream out at you, you know, and of oh. course everyone's got a, you know, their own personal preference. So you're still going to find those people, you know, that, that want those, you know, other things. Um, but yeah, when I read the article on that, I was like, wow, this is strange because this is what I love. Like I made my house specifically for this for a reason. Again, bro, we're like, like I told you, eventually the middle schoolers and we're going to be the old people yep. and so on and so on. Like we're basically going to face that. I'm looking with my modern house all white in the gray, and I'm just like, dude, this is what a house supposed to And then these guys are like, nah, man, like, look at this <laughs> rainbow. Like, I'm just like, oh, well, it's your right. own. You're paying for it. That's exactly. what you want. Right, right, No, right. I, I felt like it was actually, when it comes to, um, and, and sooner or later we have to wrap it up, but, yeah. like, I remember, what was I going to tell you? We're, we're actually going through the electrification era. So I feel like one of those tools things are solar. Solar, sol- uh, storage batteries. I noticed that there's going to be more smart home appliances, wireless appliances. It's, it's actually becoming a thing, apparently, with QI technology. We already have that technology on the phones. Now they're talking about that. Um, panels. So I've got a wireless dishwasher that my wife, my wife doesn't even use it, but I got her a wireless dishwasher that, that you know, connects to our Amazon or our Alexa, rather, um, so she can, like, set it or tell Alexa, hey, Alexa, start the dishwasher so that way oh, it's yeah. done. Or- well, by wireless, I was actually talking about, like, it doesn't need an actual, what's the, what do you call it in English? Oh, plug, plug. Yeah, I got you. I got plug. you. Oh, wow. Yeah. You, yeah technology. Gotcha. So, you know when you charge your phone and you put it in this little panel right here? Right, right. Yeah, they're actually talking about potentially doing, like, instead of, like, a port, it's, it's like a port, and then that's it. Gotcha. So that way, it's continuously only using the energy exactly what it needs. And even though it, it already has that one thing, I read the article about it, and I don't, it, it was like months ago. So I'm not going to be able to tell you the details specifically. Right, right. If anything, if I can attach it to this episode so people can look at it so they have an idea about it. But yeah, it's really cool stuff. But the point is, it requires energy. Right. Eventually, by 2030, by 2035, all manufacturers must have some type of EV lineup, apparently. So because of that, I feel that eventually solar will become the actual future. Unfortunately, yes, in present day, there are some companies that took advantage of it. And sadly enough, um, there was some fraudulent activity. But just know that when that happened, there wasn't a lot of regulation. That obviously has changed yeah, dramatically. Yeah. 
Yeah, the company that sold me my solar panels went out of business, but I, I'll tell you what, I, I love solar on my house. I I would recommend it to everyone. You know, oh, there's definitely some a, things I, I wish I knew. I have access to solar myself, so yeah, and I like selling it because I, and when I sell solar, and, and I don't try to do this a promotion, this, this is not planned, I promise. But whenever I do something like this, it was more because I do believe in the future. I actually like the idea of off-grid. I like the idea that if for whatever reason there's a power outage, I don't have to, it's not my problem. You know what I mean? And hopefully one of these days we don't need the grid. Like hopefully one of these days we'll be standardized to have a solar panel and solar batteries and literally don't need the grid at all because eventually energy will become such an important thing that the only way it's going to make sense is by you having your own production down to the individual instead of having this humongous factory to make the production for everybody it makes more sense for you to have your own production for your own needs exactly what you need and if you want more appliances if you want to i don't know if we're gonna have robot maids or whatever you know 40 years (laughs) from now but let's just say that's a thing right obviously i don't want to pay for whatever the heck it takes to charge that thing you know let it be your problem you get your own (laughs) needs bro like don't make it my problem And don't make it like a tax issue, like, oh, we, the freaking, not trying to get political, but like, hey, we decided to solve the issue for everybody by taxing individuals so we can create this pool of money, which you know that's BS, and then just so we can go ahead and solve whatever the, no. Right. No. So I'm a big believer of solar. I'm a big believer of the energy storage. I'm a big believer of, uh, I'm going to get so much hate from this, but EVs. (laughs) Yep. I love EVs. I remember when, I, I'm like, to this day, I'm still looking for which EV I'm going to go. Because right now I drive a BMW, so I'm most likely going to switch either to a Tesla right. or the BMW i4 or whatever. And um, what you might call it, I, I, I always hate when they tell me it's not a B8. I don't care, dude. It doesn't right. make, it, like, whatever. Like, maybe for you, if you want to have a V8, go for it. Sure. He's like, nah, man, it's not the same thing. It doesn't make any, it doesn't make that person. I'm like, whatever. Like, I used to be a car guy. Okay, I know what you mean, and trust me, it feels good. I love it. I'm a menace on the road. That's why I don't have road rage because I know I'm the freaking problem. So that, but you still, but I still want an EV. Like if you look at the numbers and the way they drive, like come on, bro. And I remember when Dodge did the Dodge Daytona, mm-hmm. the freaking Dodge Daytona, they put like a like a sound system, so it sounds like electric and stuff like that. It sounds cool, and some people give it. Um, um, I don't know if I've been cursing this entire time. I'm, I'm being in a rant. Yeah. But some people give it, you know, like, issues like, oh, no, it's, it's fake. or they, Like, whatever, bro. It's, it's the experience, right? Right. So they solve the experience issue. And then you want to complain about it. There's not, like, what do you expect? It's not authentic? Well, duh. It's not a V8. It's not a V6. It's not whatever the V, whatever you're looking right. for. It's an electric car. That's right. what it is. It has the sound system. I like the idea that I can customize it. That means I can make my car sound like a Lambo. Bro, come on. I don't care about whether it actually has a W12 or a B12 or B10 or whatever the heck a Lambo really has. Right. I'm probably going to Google it later just to double check. I think it's a B12. Yeah. Well, B12 actually sounds pretty sexy. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> but, like, like, the point is that will be the future, period. Or yeah. maybe hydrogen cars. I don't freaking know. Yeah. But... <laughs> All of that will become part of your real estate. For sure. All of it. For sure. It will become part of your real estate. It will become part of your life. It will become part of your, uh, the single family gene, quote unquote, blah, 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 blah. Now, before we wrap this up, bro, it has to be part of the episode. If you can give yourself advice on a younger you, 
when you started real estate, maybe four years ago, because you've been doing this for four years, correct? Correct. Okay, so if you can give yourself four year you younger, <laughs> kind of like a mouthful, what would it be? Oh, man. Um, I would say two things, really. Uh, first thing would be, uh, uh, what was I going to say? Um, you were going to give me $10,000 for no reason. Oh, uh, sure, sure, man. I'll <laughs> write you a check kidding, afterwards. <laughs> nah, uh, perfection paralyzing. Uh, I'm super OCD, you know, and, and I'm one of those people that I want to make sure that everything is, is perfect before I move forward. And that has really, really hindered me um, in moving my business forward. And I've learned to just, hey, you know what? Sometimes you've got to go through the chaos and you'll grow through that chaos. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of work out the kinks on the back end. So so don't get paralyzed because you want everything to purpose. You know, some action done not perfect is better than no action taken because you want it to be exactly perfect. Um, and then just consistency, you know, keeping with it, get up one more time, then you get knocked down and, and just staying consistent with it. Um, and then checking your results, you know, checking your results and, and making, you know, little tweaks here and there. If you're not getting the results that you want after you've, you know, you know, done it a certain amount of times and, and you feel like you should have gotten results and industry standards, you know, dictate that you should have gotten results by now, well then check yourself, check what you're doing, you know, and make those little tweaks, make those little adjustments and just keep after it. Okay. Well, I, I agree. If anything, I used to face that issue as well. I prepared a lot, perfected a lot, and I felt like if I didn't do it right the first time, I was just going to, like, complete mess. Like, I can imagine the worst. Yep. If, if anything, I used to imagine the rebuttals of the customer in my own mind. Yep. Oh, man, I'm, I don't like this because the animation looks a little bit, like, not, you know, 4K, 60 FPS. And I'm just like, man, <laughs> they will definitely care about that. Or it's not directly 1080p, if not, it's 1080i. And I used to care about those Small little details, yeah. like 1080i being interlaced, it's not real 1080p. Some guy will notice, and because of that, I didn't get the sale. I will be thinking like that, and I don't even know why. Right. So I know exactly how you feel. It's a nightmare. But, yeah, yeah. if anything, I've learned to just take the the, the the second opinion. I used to just like, hey, man, what do you think about this? Dude, it looks perfect. Awesome. I won't even think about anything else. Right. Like if they like I or I used to ask my friends, Matt and the other guys, like, hey, look at this post. What do you think? If everything goes well, like the shade, the caption, the, the hashtags, the, all of that, like what do you think about this? And then that's it. If as long as they're giving me if I get the green light, I try not to overthink it because I know myself, bro. One thousand percent. Yeah, my wife gets frustrated with me because I do that to her. I, she's my she's my second opinion, so I'll go up to her and like, hey, what do you think about this? And you know, I was thinking that this needs to get tweaked a little bit. She's like, I wouldn't have ever even noticed it or thought of it unless you pointed it out. You know, just go with it. So. I mean, honestly, I will go for the individual that's the same industry as you. So I will basically. I don't know if you have a good friends of realtors with I do. S. I do. Yeah. Well, if you do, I'll I'll actually go to them. Yeah. Um, for the podcast, other podcasters. For the events, other event organizers. It's like, yeah, man, what do you think about this? And you'll be surprised the insight they can give you because they're oh, yeah. in the same industry as you. So, for example, for the event organization stuff, they normally say, like, I remember one guy says, hey, I actually attached it as a GIF. And then he introduced me to Luma, which Luma is a different version of Eventbrite. But whenever you register, it automatically sends an invite to RSVP to be on their calendar. Because on Eventbrite, you get the ticket, but you have to put it in your calendar manually, right? How many people did I lose not going into, or sometimes you have to download it with a little, like, little yeah, button. like when they send you the email, there's a little button that you can click on it to download. And How it pops many up people actually calendar. don't do that? Because I don't do that. Yeah. 
I'm manually put it because a lot of people never, don't know. Oh yeah, but I don't know how to do it. Sometimes it doesn't look correct and it pisses me off. So I kind of like I also like having my own emoticon and everything. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, because of that alone, <laughs> I much rather go through Luma because I went to that opinion. And, you know, he told me, like, go to Luma. Luma will literally do that for you. So it's going to increase the amount of people who will show up because it's under calendar. Some people just forget. That's right. 1,000%. Right. Yep. And that's, and it has helped. I actually increased my attendees. Not magical numbers, but an increase is an increase. Absolutely. It's like the one, you know, 1% every single day of the year, whatever saying it is, you know, the 1%. Yep. So nonetheless, now that we know what ignited the hustle, what kept you in the hustle, and the advice that you give to your younger self, that's basically it for the episode. We're going to awesome, wrap man. this up. Now, to wrap it up, if there's anything that you have 30 seconds, anything you want to promote, anything at all? Uh, really just, hey, uh, use me as a resource. I'm here to help. Um, my website's in development, uh, but it should be done sometime next week. It's yourrealty.org. The reason everyone asks me, why is it a .org and not a .com? Well, .com was taken. Um, but realistically, um, I did it as a .org because we're here to help. You know, my, my company is here to help in any way that we can. Uh, and if we don't have the answers, you know, I can point you to the, someone that does. And, you know, the thought process is we're going to help. We're going to get the knowledge out. And then ultimately the business will follow. One thousand percent. Well, I appreciate everybody listening to this episode. If you guys want to reach out to him, um, I'm going to leave the details in the episode below. So that way you guys can have that opportunity. And moreover than that, I appreciate you guys joining More to Hustle podcast, where we basically learn what ignited their hustle, what kept them in the hustle, and yeah, basically get to the younger selves. Other than that, guys, I'll see you next time. Rohan, thanks for having us. Likewise, buddy. Likewise. <laughs>